Go to Matthew 6 this morning. Matthew 6, we're in week number three of this sermon series entitled The Model. And uh, just really honing in on prayer and trying to learn uh, biblically what it means to pray and how we can do that ourselves. So this is a very familiar, I would even say famous passage of Scripture, Matthew 6, known as the model prayer or the Lord's prayer or an Our Father or whatever your church context kind of taught you to, to call it or dub it. Here we are in Matthew 6. We'll start in verse number 9 because we've already covered the context uh, but verse number 9, and we'll read through verse number 13. So Matthew 6, verse number 9. This is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says this. Jesus says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but... Deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning I'll get to finish verse number 9, and we'll talk about those four words at the end of the verse, hallowed be thy name. Uh, and I'm excited to talk about those four words because these four words have deeply impacted my own prayer life over the past six months or so. And they've given me a whole new kind of line of attack in prayer that I did not know I was supposed to be taking and praying uh, previously, but I have learned and, and grown some, and I'm excited to uh, share it a, a little bit with you this morning. If you have missed uh, the past couple installments of this uh, series, we're in installment number three, let me catch you up. So I'm going to give you two sermons in about 90 seconds, okay? So that's difficult to do, but I'm going to do it. Here's what we've learned thus far as we've looked at the context surrounding this passage of Scripture, as well as uh, we've started into the passage of Scripture itself, that thus far we've seen me guilting you into prayer is counterproductive when it's all said and done. It would be very easy for me to do because all of us feel like we have some growing to do in regards to prayer, that our prayer lives could use an upgrade, but guilt in prayer is not the way to go, and God is extremely concerned about that. God is more concerned about uh, your motives in prayer and your heart in prayer than he is the amount of time you spend or actually the words you say that you see that in the context of, of this uh, portion of scripture here that the motives and the heart is extremely important and we've learned that there's always a theological underpinning to our prayer life sometimes it's a correct theological underpinning sometimes it's incorrect but it, we're always shaped by our view of God and who he is and that affects our prayer lives uh, deeply and these words in the model prayer Jesus says in verse number eight explicitly these are not words to memorize and to slavishly repeat over and over again redundantly these are words that it's a, basically a template for how we should pray that Jesus is giving his audience and us transferable principles to take out of this prayer and to apply them to our own prayer lives. And it's, it's a model of sort. And we've seen inside of this prayer that it begins with our Father which art in heaven, that immediately we're set back on our heels a bit because it starts with our, it doesn't start with my, me. It starts with our, and prayer should come from the context of community and us praying together as a church, or you praying together as a family, or you praying with a Christian coworker should not be abnormal or weird. It should be something that is in the context of community, but it's our Father, which is deeply relational, and Jesus has given his audience a brand new way of addressing the Lord God Jehovah. 
He's giving them this, this baseline of relationship that we approach the Lord from, but it is our Heavenly Father or our Father which art in heaven. It's not just Daddy. It's not just Father, but there is an understanding. This is my Heavenly Father, that there is relationship coupled with majesty and reverential awe and understanding who God is. So as we approach this, we understand the address to, to God, the address on the envelope is our Father which art in heaven. And then Jesus is going to give us kind of the first line of this prayer, the first petition, and that is, hallowed be thy name. If you want more information on the past a couple sermons, you can go on the website, harvestbaptist.info, click that, and, uh, and you can watch or listen to them, things like that. But that's the short version. So we get to hallowed be thy name. Now, there's something here initially in this prayer that should strike us. Not just hallowed be thy name, but if you look at the prayer, Jesus tells us to start with hallowed be thy name. Then verse number 10 is thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as in heaven. You see three times, it's thy, thy, thy. Then Jesus gets to eventually us, give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. But first and foremost is this thought of thy, is this thought of God is first. And Jesus honestly he reverses our natural order of praying. We naturally, when we go to prayer, want to just start straight into, Lord, give me, help me, I need, they need, me, 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 my, 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 us, us, us. But Jesus starts and says, no, first is an understanding and a honing in on God, and it's thy, 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 and eventually you do get to us. But this lesson is deeply important for us. To understand that the Father's interest and his motives and, and what is kingdom-oriented is, is very uh, essential to our prayer lives. It should be. There was a book published years ago, I think in the 40s it first came out, called Prayer, Asking and Receiving. And that's, that's an okay title. There is a measure of prayer that is asking and receiving. But there's a lot more to prayer than just asking and receiving. And frankly, many times... All of our, not all of our, some of our prayer lives are just strictly wrapped around asking and receiving, asking and receiving, asking and receiving. But there's more to it than that. There should be this mindset of the Lord, of the Father, of His interests. Andrew Murray, who writes extensively on prayer, puts it this way. He, said, he compares our prayer lives and our, our maturity level in prayer to that of our children. That when you have a child, when they begin to speak, they have no interest in you or your needs. It is entirely, give me, I want, I need, can I, can I, can I. That's a child. And eventually that child grows and they begin to share that a little bit. And instead of just me, 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 I, I, they begin to share. My son, who's about to turn three next week, is at this stage. He's now, when he'll make a request, can I have some and can I give some to sister too? Can I give some to Willow? I want to share with her or give me and mommy wants some too. That now his request, his asking has turned strictly from just being selfish to sharing with some others. But Murray says that a true son, when they really can ask fully of the father, is a son who grows and matures and begins to take on the interest of dad and the interest of the father. Maybe he begins to run the business for him. Maybe he just begins to live life that dad has grown old enough that now his interests are directly attached to what dad's interests are and, and our own interests are in the background. That that son, when he reaches that maturity level of putting the father's interests first, then can ask more fully, more deeply, and will be granted the request more readily because 
His interests, first and foremost, are the Father's interests. And that is true to our prayer lives. And Jesus goes straight into mature prayer. And he says, when you are approaching the Father, first and foremost is thy, 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 then eventually it's me, us, we, then it eventually turns into that. So here is this, here is this, these four words, hallowed be thy name. What, what does that mean? Let me describe the word hallowed so we can get a, a sense of this first. The word hallowed is a verb. Uh, it's, it's the Greek word hagiadzo, and it's, it's only translated this way in the Lord's Prayer, in the model prayer, is, is the word hallowed. Typically, you will see this word translated as sanctify. Now, that's the verb form. It's rooted from the, the adjective, really, which is hagios, and the adjective of this is holy, as in holy spirit, or be ye holy as I am holy. So when we talk about this word hallowed, we're talking about something that is made holy, something that is set apart, something that is uh, different from profane things and, and removed from that, something that is consecrated, something that is pure. That is what this word hallowed means. So what does it mean to pray, hallowed be thy name? What does that mean? That's a fair question. What does it mean for us to pray those four words, hallowed be thy name? I would suggests that there's three things that this means, that this prayer should go outward, inward, and then upward. And in that order, it's outward, inward, and then upward. Here's what I mean by that, outward. This first line of the, of the model prayer, hallowed be thy name, is a little bit misty to us. First and foremost is probably because we just don't use the word hallowed a lot. That's a word that's not normally in our vocabulary. It's something that we don't uh, talk about a lot. Secondly is that just the idea of something being hallowed or sacred or set apart or unique is relatively foreign to our current culture. There, there are moments in history where that is not foreign at all. That's, that's normative. But for us, it's not. This is, this is relatively foreign. And, we, and here's the most difficult part of, this, of these four words is this. We tend to read these four words into the address. We tend to, and I naturally thought this for many years, I don't know why, maybe someone taught me, taught me this way, maybe I just kind of put pieces together, I'm not really sure, but I had a tendency to think that this was part of the address that Jesus was saying, our Father in heaven, your name is holy. Now, that's true. The name of God is holy. That would not be an incorrect statement, but this line of the Lord's Prayer, it's not an assertion, it's a petition. So the assertion that God's name is holy is entirely valid. I preached a message really just all along these lines about six months or so ago called His Glory, Our Good. And you can go on the website and you can listen to that if you want to. I won't repeat all of that. But the, the assertion that He is holy and His name is great and He is unique and beautiful, that is entirely accurate. This is, I'll give you one verse just to softball something to you here. Leviticus 22 this is Moses writing, but God is talking. And God says this, Therefore shall ye keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. Verse 32 says, Neither shall ye profane my holy name. I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord which hallowed you, or sanctified you, that brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. So the name of God is holy. There's no question about that. There's not debate about that. So why pray this? What does this mean? If it's holy, can't we just say, God, your name's holy, and go on with it and be done with it? No, this is a petition. And, and what do I mean by petition? We know what a petition is, right? 
petition a piece of paper, you pass it around, you get a bunch of signatures, and that request of a government or some higher body that they change something. So this, this line is designed not just to be an assertion, but it's a petition. It is a request to a higher governing body, God himself, that he would change something, that he would do something. Here is, here's what this is, and this is deeply important for you to grasp. Jesus now begins with hallowed be thy name. He begins to lay out the priorities that the disciples should have in their petitions and in their requests in their prayer life. He begins to tell them, here are the things that should be important to you, that you should hone in on, that, you, that should grip your heart as you approach the Lord and as you make requests of them. And numero uno for Jesus is that the name of God would be regarded as holy. So let me, let me put it on the screen and state it extremely plainly in case I haven't got it through yet. Jesus is not saying, Father, your name is holy. What he's saying is, Father, may your name be hallowed. May your name be sanctified. May your name become holy. Now, it is holy, but to the world at large around, this is a petition. This is a request. Father, may your name be hallowed. Now, adoration and prayer and telling God that his name is holy is valid. That's important. Honestly, it's another sermon. It's another topic that I'll cover, but that is important. However, Jesus is not teaching his disciples to start their prayer lives with, with praise and adoration. There would be nothing wrong with that if that's, if that's your habit or that's what you do. Jesus is teaching his disciples to go directly into a petition and into a request that the name of the Lord would be sanctified and would be made great. Now, this, honestly, this is a struggle for me because I just naturally, the way that I was taught was you start your prayers with adoration and you start with praise of God and that that should always be the case. And uh, once again, if you do that, that's okay, but that's not what Jesus is teaching. And I would even encourage you to study prayers of the Bible. What you find as you study prayers of the Bible is that generally speaking, adoration and praise flows out at the end of the prayer. Now, you can find times, I can give you Hezekiah in 2 Kings 19 where he starts with a lot of praise and a lot of adoration. But when you study prayers of the Bible, you can go to Daniel 2 where Daniel brings his request to the Lord, the Lord grants that request, and he ends in high praise. You can go to Job and Habakkuk, they end in high praise. You can go to Jesus. Here in the model prayer, he ends with praise, that thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. You can go to Jesus in John 17. If there really is a prayer that should be called the Lord's Prayer, that would be John 17. It's a whole chapter that is a prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane. And what you find when you study that prayer is Jesus starts with the glory of God, with the name of God. He does not start with just high praise. You can go to Paul in Ephesians. He has his prayer in Ephesians 3 for uh, those Christians at Ephesus. And he begins to the Father, makes requests, he ends in praise. So it's, it's normative biblically for the praise and the adoration to flow more at the end of our prayer lives than at the beginning. And Jesus teaches his disciples to begin directly with a petition of hallowed be thy name. Now, I told you three weeks ago that through the series, we were going to, I was going to try to hone in on not guilt tripping you into prayer, of seeing the Lord properly and understanding what it meant to pray biblically. And some of you probably thought at that point, pray biblically. What do you mean? I'm a Christian. I pray in Jesus' name. Check, check. Isn't that all there is? Now, there's a lot more to biblical prayer, and there's a lot more to this model prayer than just being a Christian and praying in Jesus' name. 
Part of this is that Jesus says, here is the petition. Here's what you should be concerned about. Number one is you should be concerned about the name of God, that it be made holy, that it be sanctified, that it be made special. And this shouldn't be weird to us. If you think this is weird, I encourage you just think in your own life, okay? How many of you, raise of hands, how many of you have a name that is tough sometimes to pronounce? If someone just looked on, on paper and saw your name, it'd be difficult for them to mispronounce your name. All right, there's a few of us in the room. First name or last name. How many have a last name or first name? Is different? Okay, a few more hands. I have a last name that gets mispronounced a lot and misspelled a lot. It's just Likens is an unusual last name. You don't hear it a lot. L-I-K-I-N-S. So uh, people spell it with an E. Many times they pronounce it Likens, which I probably would too if I didn't know how to pronounce it. Now, thanks to LinkedIn, people insert an N in there and call me LinkedIn all the time. Uh, even my first name is M-A-R-C. My parents gave me a C instead of a K. I don't know why. Uh, I do know that much sign, a C instead of a K. Uh, I don't know a lot of sign, but I know a little bit. So they gave me a C. And that sometimes is difficult, that, um, that I'll tell people over the years, I've told people, my name's Mark with a C. And I've had maybe two or three different people say, Kark? Um, no, no, it's, the C is at the end, okay? It's, if it was Kark, I would say Clark without an L. But it's M-A-R-C. So we understand, okay, when people mispronounce our name, they don't say it right. That annoys us, doesn't it? How many get annoyed by that? I get annoyed by that, right? It kind of shows that, hey, man, they don't, really, they don't really care that much about me. They don't know me that well. They don't regard me that much. And that's, that's very surface-level mispronunciation. You could go deeper. You go your last name. Some in this room, your last name, frankly, it doesn't mean that much to you, but many in the room, your last name is deeply important to you. That the thought of one day doing something that would tarnish your name, that people would see your family tree, your brothers, your sisters, your parents, and in a jaded light, that they would see them in an ill manner, that that, that would hurt your heart. That would devastate you, that you, that you somehow... Uh, mishandled your last name because it's special to you. And even if not your last name, just your name as a whole, your, your reputation, you could say. When people talk bad about you and they degrade your name, especially if it's a lie, doesn't that bother you? Doesn't it bother you when people are now thinking less of you, thinking less of your name because of something that someone else did or someone else said? This bothers us on a human level. So it should be reasonable that this would bother the Lord as well that he would be concerned with his name, that he would want his name to be hallowed, to be sanctified, to be holy, to be set apart, to be esteemed, regarded, to be lofty. That, that should not alarm us. We should not think that's weird because it's natural to us that we want our name to be, to be hallowed or holy of sorts. So too does the Lord. John Calvin in the Institutes in before you get all weird on me, Calvin put the emphasis on the wrong syllable uh, a couple times, but he had some good thoughts on prayer, so I'll share one with you. He said in regards to, to this, hallowed be thy name, that the sum of the whole is this. It must be our desire that God may receive the honor which is his due, that men may never think or speak of him without the greatest of reverence. 
Luther, if Luther makes you more comfortable, I'll paraphrase him. He said that this request is a request that God would spread his name throughout the world and that outward people would see God for who he is, that they would be attracted to the gospel because of it, that people would see the holiness of God in our lives and because of that, God's name would be made great and that his glory would go forth and that the gospel would be spread because his name was hallowed. So this line here, hallowed be thy name, first and foremost, is this outward petition that God make your name great. Help people to see you as holy. May, may they see you as special. May you be hallowed. May you be sanctified. This should be something that is a petition that we ask. But frankly, I'll, I'll bottom shelf it for you. When is the last time we prayed this way? When's the last time you gave this request to God? For most of us, I challenge you, if you work with a Christian coworker, go ask them, what are your top five requests? And I would almost guarantee you, inside of their top five requests is not going to be that the name of God be made great. That God be made holy in the eyes of the coworkers or the community or the family. But this is something that Jesus tells us straight away. Here's the petition. Here's what you should be concerned with. Here's what should be an integral part of your prayer life is that sanctify your name. Set it apart, make it holy, make it special. And this should be something, this is what has gripped my heart over the past six months and my wife can attest to this. Every night we pray as a family before the kids go to bed and included in my, I have kind of a template that I'll use, but uh, here recently included in those prayers has been, Lord, would you, would you put your glory on display in me, in our family, in our church? Would you make your name great through our church, through our family, through our lives? That's been a, a part of my prayer life recently that hadn't been a line of attack before that. That Lord, What I'm saying is, Lord, make your name great. Make it holy. Make it special. May this, may this be something. This, may we have, as a church, may we have walls of Jericho moments where people look and say, God is awesome. And that is, you think to the miracles in the Old Testament, like the walls of Jericho. You think, why did God do that? Was he trying to bolster their faith and make them march around and increase their faith? I, I think biblically what God was trying to do is he was trying to do something to show that these people did not do this. I did this so that the nations as a whole, the Moabites or whoever else, those that dwelt in Canaan would look and say, their God must be special. Their God must be great. He must be, he must be powerful and big and, and awesome. And this is the prayer that Jesus is telling us to pray. Lord, make your name special and holy and sanctified. May people see that. May they through my life and through my family and through our church, may they see that you're God and you're big and you're awesome. But this prayer is something that is, is outward, first and foremost. It's a petition to pray, Lord, sanctify, hallow your name, but it's also inward. R.C. Sproul argued that there's psychological truism to this petition. What he means by that is that it is difficult for you to hone in on praying, Lord, make your name special and hallowed and sanctified if it's not true in your own heart and your own mind first. That this has to, this has to be inward. This needs to be something that is near and dear to our hearts, not just God go do this for them, the end, I'm moving on to a new request, but may this be inside of me, may this be something that strikes a chord inside of me, and, and how really would it be possible to have a high regard for God and want others to have that if we didn't first have it ourselves? 
This should be something that is inward first and foremost, and this should hit home to us. This should be a prayer that we are often praying that, that make your name hallowed in and through my life. May you be seen as holy because of what others see in me. Lord, put your glory on display in me. This, this should be near and dear to us. This should be something that we apply practically and we ask ourselves penetrating questions like, do we, do you, do I, do we treat the name of God with respect? Does it bother us when other people don't treat the name of God with respect? Do you notice it when that show or that movie or that book degrades the name of God and degrades the name of Jesus? Is that something that drives you up a wall? If this is true and we're praying this way and this is something that's deeply personal to us, then this should be the case. And I would argue that if God thought it was fitting in the Ten Commandments in Old Testament Jewish culture to include in the Ten Commandments that you should not take the name of the Lord God in vain. And then fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus has a Jewish audience, and tells them a petition that you should make in your prayers is that the name of God would be made holy, would be, would be hallowed, would be sanctified. If that was true for Old Testament Israel, if that was true for New Testament Jewish audience, how much more true is that for us? Can we, can we honestly say that the name of God has become more special and more holy and more sanctified in our current day and age than it was 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago? I don't think so. I think anyone who has common sense would see that the name of God is being run down day after day, week after week, month after month, that it is just it's pervasive in our culture. And honestly, it's astounding. I've never one time heard somebody just out in, in a movie or out just at the park playing basketball or something just scream out, Mohammed or Confucius or, or Allah. I've never one time. How many times have I heard somebody say, Jesus Christ? And they weren't, they weren't talking to Jesus. They were degrading the name. Sometimes maybe even attaching an expletive to it. How normative is it for us to hear GD in a show or in a movie or something? How many times in a day do we hear, oh my God, from somebody? Right? That's, that's our culture, folks. This is, and I would, I would argue, this could be, is it, is, is it completely hairy-brained to think that maybe this is the case because Christians, by and large, have ignored this petition? That we haven't prayed, Lord, make your name holy? Maybe, maybe it's bothered us a little bit. Maybe that's, I wouldn't say that, but... Have we, really, have we really made this a request? Has this been part of our prayer lives? Has this been something that strikes a chord with us? We see that now more than ever, this should be something that is on our hearts and on our lips. There's a prayer request to God, a petition of, Lord, make your name special, make it great, make it something. And, and when we do, if it's inward, if it's personal, when we do hear that, it would be only reasonable to lovingly confront that. Not to be aggressive or ferocious, but to tell the coworker, you know what? That name's special to me. Would you mind not saying that? You know, that bothers me. Maybe we would turn the channel or we would click off the TV show. I know I'm meddling now. I, I know you love that show that just that says that all the time, but possibly we would take it personally. Possibly we would be bothered by it. Possibly we would do our best to guard that name and to, and to not give way to others who are using the name of Jesus or the name of God lightly. I would say if we took this personal, it wouldn't just be something that we pray, Lord, do this, but 
we would want all cases of blasphemy and using the name of God wrongly to cease and to stop. We would not want his glory to be diluted by someone who's tarnishing the name of Christ or the name of God. This should be a request that's outward, that's a petition that, Lord, help people to see you, help them to see you as sanctified and holy and special, but may it be personal in me. May they look at my life and see if there's something different. May they see that, that the holiness of God comes through me and that there's something special about him. And, and I don't know what's gotten into them, but what's happening there? That should be inward. This prayer request should be, Lord, make your name special. May people see you through me. We understand that as Christians, we're name bearers. All of us do. As a Christian, you bear the name of Christ. And either you are promoting that and you are making that more holy and more sanctified and more set apart, or you're tarnishing a little bit. There is no middle ground. It's one or the other. And if we pray this request and take it personally, it should naturally be something that empowers us that we want to be made holy, that we want to be sanctified, that we want to be set apart because we want the world at large to see that. Lastly, I would say this. It's not just outward. It's not just inward, but it is upward. This request is it's a petition first and foremost. It is. But it's only natural that this petition would turn into praise. It's only natural that as we think about the name of God and how beautiful it is and how holy it is and how good he is and how set apart and absolutely unique and powerful he is, that that would, that would bubble up and that would become praise to God. And that, that should be normal. And honestly, there is praise does not have to start your prayer life, but it should be in your prayer life. Adoration and praise of God should be entirely normal for us as Christians, and this would help your prayer life. If your prayer life consists of, dear Jesus, here are my requests, see you later, I'll see you tomorrow, then let me tell you, praise will help that. I don't know if, if I'm the only one, maybe you're like me, that you've gone straight to God and you've begun to pour out your requests and to cast all your care upon him, but five minutes into help me with this and help me with that and I can't handle this and I need this and I need this, five minutes in, instead of being a less burdened and feeling light, you feel more burdened. And you feel like, I just spent five minutes thinking about all these problems and I'm telling God to help me with them, but now all my mind is doing is dwelling on these problems and now I feel more anxiety and I feel more worried. Anyone ever been there? I've been there where I'm just giving, 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 and I'm trying to say, oh, I'm casting my care upon him, but this isn't working. Like, what am I doing wrong here? What, what I found in my own life is that what I'm doing wrong is I did not praise the Lord first. When I, when I have a time of understanding who God is, and I hone in on his name and his glory and his kingdom and his will and who he is and how great and beautiful he is, then when it comes time to give him my request, I can so much more easily take that request and place it on the back of Jesus and walk away from it because I now understand and I've reminded myself of how big God is and how strong he is and how powerful he is and how much he cares for me and how much he loves me. That, that upward praise should, be, should have a prime place in our prayer life. It should be something that is, that is a staple for us, that is normal for us as we, as we go to the Lord. And, and this, is, this is different than gratitude. 
This is different than Thanksgiving. Just this morning, be, uh, behind the scenes here, we, uh, before every service, the first service, second service, there's a group of uh, three to five of us, and we get together and we'll pray before the service that the Lord would bless and that he would help us. And before the 830 service, we, in conversation, just got to talking about uh, are we supposed to give thanks in all things or for all things? And that's, we don't always talk theology back there, but sometimes we do. So we were talking about that, and the answer is both, just in case you're wondering. But we were talking about Thanksgiving. Now, thanksgiving or gratitude and adoration and praise are two entirely separate categories. Those are different things. Here is a a quote that I heard years ago that helped me uh, grasp this in a picturesque way. Gratitude sees the sunbeam. Adoration runs back up the sunbeam to the sun. So when we're talking about adoration and praise of God, it's not just, Lord, I thank you that you've given, but Lord, you've given to me because you're good. Because you are the giver. It runs back up the sunbeam to the sun and you begin to praise God for who he is and for what he's done in your life. Not just thanking him, but praising him and adoring him. And I would say that all true prayer, if it's pursued far enough, will turn into praise. It will turn into times of adoration and thanking God for for who he is. And this prayer, hallowed be thy name, is first and foremost outward. Lord, may your name be made holy. May it be sanctified, may it be set apart, may it be hallowed. And it's natural to turn that inward and say, so do that in me, God. Help me, make me holy. Lord, change me, change my family. May people see that in our church. And then it's only natural to take that and begin to praise the Lord and to, and to say, God, you are holy and you are good and you are great and you have given so much. And to, this is the request, hallowed be thy name. I will I'll attempt to illustrate this and the importance of this in, in closing. You, um, I listen to a lot of music, just instrumental music, as I work or as I do things, as, as I drive, a lot of cello, violin, stuff like that. And um, I can focus on something if there's just music in the background. Now, if you add words to that music, then I can't focus much any longer, unless it's really familiar. Sometimes I can, but typically not. Anyone else like me? Okay. Now, it becomes, that's just audio. If you were to take that music and to put it on a TV in front of me in a music video or to show some sort of television show, it becomes all the more difficult to tune that out or to not focus in on it because it goes from audio form to video form. This is why when you go to a restaurant, you're sitting there, there's a TV on, it's muted, the closed caption is like eight seconds behind what they're actually saying, but for some reason you're eating with your spouse or your family and you're just staring at that TV. You ever think to yourself, why am I staring at this TV? I don't even care about it. I don't even know what they're saying. But you are, because video is tough to tune out. It is. When it comes to God, and it comes to his attributes, him being holy, him being good, merciful, gracious, loving, whatever you want to list, that for most of us is, is audio. It's something that's there, and we know it's there. But it's easy for us to go through the day or to go through the week or through the month and to tune it out a little bit. And for it just to play in the background and occasionally we come to a church service and we sing how great is our God and it kind of grabs, gets our mind for just a second but then it, it fades back into the background and we just go through our life. But I would argue, and I, have, I don't have much scripture for this, just personal experience. I would argue that as, as you begin to pray surrounding God, His name, his will, his kingdom, and to focus on him first. That who he is and his beauty goes from audio to video. 
It goes from something that is just in the background that you know it's there cognitively, but you're, it's not really, you're not really honed in on it throughout, throughout the course of a day or a week or a month. But as you begin to pray this way, and Lord, sanctify your name and hallow your name and do it in me, and you begin to dive into that, it begins to take that part of God and that he is holy and to put it in video form that is much more difficult for you to tune out. And you'll find that through a day, you'll be, your mind will gravitate to that and you'll hone in on that and you, you don't even know why it just is. And, and I would say it's because your prayer life consists of that. When it consists of thinking about God and he, what's important to him and who he is and deflecting praise to him, that changes you in ways that are intensely practical and deeper than, than a sermon could ever go. You spending whatever your amount of prayer time is, whether it's I don't pray at all and I'm going to start doing five minutes or I spend 15 minutes or half hour, an hour, whatever, whatever it is, whatever your routine is, you taking a portion of that and focusing on God and his character and his name and his holiness and that that would be made great will change you in intensely practical ways. It will do something that, that I, I struggle to even put into words. Other than that, it'll go from audio to video. Other than that, God will become so much more real to you. And if you're in the room, this should be inward. You should know that this is important to me, so I'm going to pray this. But if you're in the room and it's not inward, and it's very possible that's the case, that you're sitting here thinking, you know what? That show takes the name of the Lord in vain and says curse words attached to his name all the time, but I feel guilty right now, but I really like that show, and I'm really going to watch it next week. If you're in the room... And you, your habit is just, I never really thought about it. I say, oh my God, all the time. I say it like 80 times a day. If that's you, I would encourage you, do not dismiss this petition of the Lord's Prayer and this model and just say, you know what? I'm just going to set that to the side. That's for all those other more mature Christians. I'll just go pray for Aunt Susie and her cancer and pray for this and pray that God will give me this and I'm just going to ignore that. Don't. The, you praying this way and you beginning to include this in your prayer life, even if it's just a line, even if you're just saying for, for 10 seconds, Lord, hallow your name and sanctify it and do it through me. And I'm not even sure what all that means. Just do it. If you begin to hone in on that and to focus in on that, it will begin to change you and grip you and help you in ways that, that I personally never could. That prayer and as you focus on the Lord will do for you things that it's, it's difficult for me to even explain. So I encourage you, as we as a church are approaching our prayer lives, there's, there's nothing more practical than this. For us to begin to pray, Lord, hallow your name. Sanctify it through me and through my family and through my little, my little group of, of the, the Bible study at work or at school or, or my church. Lord, make your name great. Make it be special. May, may it be something that people see as, as holy if this is difficult for you, go to him. Ask him, Lord, give me your heartbeat on this. Help me. I don't, feel, I don't feel a natural impulse to do this, but help me in this, grow me in this, and I promise you this. This will grow us. This will help us, and this is, if I was writing the model prayer, I don't know that I would have put that as the first petition. Frankly, for a lot of years, I didn't even see it as a petition. I just thought it was, God, you're holy, the end. But this is a request of God would your name be made hallowed, special, holy, sanctified? And do that through us. And we as a church, as individuals, should band together in that request that the name of God be made great.